0: Welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for June twenty first, twenty twenty two. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you. We got uh we got a lot here. Um, I'm going to talk about an ad that went viral. An ad by a man we have talked uh, quite a lot about on this show. If you are a PX3 diehard, then it should have not surprised you that Eric Greitens has yet again courted controversy, releasing an ad that many find disqualifying. I want to talk about that ad. I want to talk about what the concept of a disqualifying act means and how you... I and the rest of the political world should act when one happens. We have devastating, yet sadly not unexpected news from the state of Texas about what happened during the Uvalde shooting. Not something that has a ton of political consequences, uh, but something that I do feel that we need to hear, considering it has been such a politically potent story. We will also hear from Evan Scrimshaw. Yes, our buddy's back. Scrim is in the house. He's here to talk to you. As somebody for whom has relied upon poorly executed state polls to his detriment to please... For the love of God, when you see a Fetterman plus nine poll, when you see a Charlie Crist plus one poll, please, 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 please take it with a grain of salt. As I am working on this podcast and recording it throughout the afternoon of Tuesday, the 21st, The January 6th committee is on in the background. Today's discussion is all about the push from whatever we were calling the ragtag Trump administration at that point to overturn state counts. Brad Raffensperger is a star there, as well as one of the uh, state apparatus from Arizona. Mark Meadows then Donald Trump's chief of staff was quoted as quote remembering a quote from Rudy Giuliani at that time saying we have a lot of theories we don't have a lot of facts which kind of crystallizes something about these proceedings for which i find inherently Hilarious that, as obviously, the, I don't want to downplay how serious this was. And yes, democracy is something that constantly needs to be renewed and believed in. And whenever it is attacked, we should rebuke it. So, a rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. Also, it is very funny to me that even in this very austere and serious set of hearings, wherein we are talking about possibly indicting a president that they're just the goof troop. (laughs) They're just the goofiest gang of people you ever did see. And and, and it's only goofier than what we were seeing from the the, the front. What what we were seeing four seasons total landscaping and and Rudy's brain leaking out of his ears during that particularly sweaty press conference. (laughs) But I wanted to bring that up because ABC has a new poll out saying that only 34% of Americans are following the January 6 hearings very or somewhat closely, 43% of Democrats and 22% of Republicans. So, I don't know what you would define as very or somewhat closely. That seems a little bit Slippery to me. One more thing to keep on your calendar. There was a chance that I was going to have to totally rewrite (laughs) this episode because the Supreme Court released a slate of their rulings today. It looks as if they will release their biggest rulings on Thursday. So circle that on your calendar. If there was ever a week to get on the Patreon when we have our Thursday episode, which I'm going to hold until the Supreme Court rulings are out, this would be the week. Anyway, let's get into the news. Huh? Bye! Talk about the line of disqualification. And here's why Eric Greitens released an ad this week. I'm Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL, and today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. In this ad, Greitens is holding a gun, an AK 47, as I was informed by some very Wise gun savvy people in my Discord because I didn't want to get an email, probably from one of the wise gun savvy people in my Discord. He is flanked by a team of other Navy SEALs. He is walking by a mailbox labeled Rhino Den. He then makes his way to the door of the Rhino Den, which looks suspiciously like a house used to train police on how to break into houses and seize things. That house is indeed broken into with a battering ram and a flashbang goes off. The team rushes in, one of them holding a Mossberg 12-gauge 590 pump-action shotgun. Got coached up. Greitens, meanwhile, is in the rear. He eventually centers himself into the camera and does this little monologue here. Join the MAGA crew. Get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. Important to point out that there are no body doubles for what you might think would be a Republican in name only. There are no lookalikes and no trigger is pulled on any of the artillery that is brought into this seemingly abandoned house. Now, the ad immediately garnered attention, most to my eyes from the left. Take your pick of these disgusting elements. The brazen brandishing of a weapon of war so soon after a series of horrific shootings. The death squad rushing in to presumably murder politicians. And the fact that this rhino den had no furniture. When it's clearly known that Mitt Romney has impeccable taste in couches. But wasn't all Democrats upset about it? Griden's rivals in the upcoming Missouri GOP primary also weighed in. This is Vicky Hartzler. Quote, an abuser, a blackmailer, and less than 10 years ago, a Democrat, there is no basement too low to cover up for Greitens past Obama support and blindfold Missourians into believing that he represents their values. Now. Y'all know I've had a fascination with Eric Greitens since his fall from grace as governor of Missouri when he was swept out of office in a scandal involving a basement, an adulterous hairdresser, and possible sexual blackmail. I thought his campaign for Senate was dead after his ex-wife alleged that Greitens hit their children. And yet... As we pointed out right here a few weeks ago, Greitens remains the leader for the GOP nomination in a three-way race. The most recent poll had him up six points with Schmidt and Hartzler trailing. But I don't want to talk about Greitens again today. I want to talk about that line of disqualification. When a politician crosses the uncrossable, does something that would preclude you from supporting them. Sometimes this is a vote or a stance or a refusal to take a stance. More often than not, I think, especially when you're talking about politicians that you are inherently going to like or in your party, that these things are a straw that breaks the camel's back. Less of an uppercut from out of nowhere. But when it's somebody that you don't like or is from the opposite party, I think it's often something that isn't quite as impactful as we tend to make it out to be. I mean, you already distrust this politician. You probably outright loathe them. They do something awful, which I guess by way of your previous judgment you expected, and that line is crossed. They are disqualified. What's curious is that the disqualification trend tends to get a lot of attention. Mostly because what we think as disqualification in a political term, the Unfitness to hold office is not the definition that you'd use in a sport or a contest or a game. In that definition, if you're disqualified, that means you're done, out, over. In politics, well, it sometimes means the exact opposite. You've never been more in. You're a bad boy or girl. In fact, if you get disqualified by your enemies, you've done one of the most valuable things you could ever do for your followers. Piss off the others. One of the easiest ways that Republicans tend to piss off Democrats, use a gun in your ad. Republicans do this all the time. Sometimes they shoot televisions with things they don't like on the screen. Sometimes they point a gun in the general direction of their daughter's boyfriend. Now, as far as the Republican audience goes, this signals to voters who value the Second Amendment that you aren't somebody new to guns and you aren't afraid to be seen with them. The Democrats, well, it's an out and out sign that you're a sociopath who's calling for the murder of your political enemies. But let's get back to that definition of disqualified the sports definition of disqualified. When that happens, when you have too many fouls in a basketball game, when you get caught doping before the Olympics, you're out. So imagine that we applied that to politics. And if somebody did something that you found to be so repugnant, they could never, ever, ever earn your vote. Then why give them the attention that helps their cause? Look, I love the Twitter discourse as much as anybody. But maybe in cases like these, instead of retweeting the ad, instead of clutching your pearls to the point of atomization, maybe the best thing you could do is to identify the candidate that would best serve your interest in this particular race and spend that energy articulating a narrative for which is good to them. Don't worry. You're still probably going to be able to talk crap about the other side. You're going to be able to flex your moral superiority. It's just in this case, you're actually helping the person that you want to help. This could, I don't know reach persuadable independent voters that actually swing elections. This is called good campaign messaging. This is what good campaigns do. And since many have deputized themselves to be unpaid surrogates for major parties and candidates, the least you could do is a good job. Spend less time elevating through excoriation candidates that you don't think are worthy. Highlight the issues that matter to your candidate. And if you can't find anything you can highlight from your preferred candidate, well, that's a whole nother conversation. I hate to take down the energy after that segment, but I would like to read straight from a New York Times article. The location is Austin, Texas. The head of the Texas State Police offered a pointed and emphatic rebuke of the police response to a shooting last month at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, calling it, quote, an abject failure that ran counter to decades of training. In his comments before a special state uh, Senate committee in Austin, Stephen McCraw, the director of the Department of Public Safety, said that just minutes after a gunman began shooting children inside a pair of connected classrooms on May 24th, the police at the scene had enough firepower and protective equipment to storm the classroom. But he said. The uh, on-scene commander, quote, decided to put the lives of the officers ahead of the lives of the children, end quote. Mr. McCraw, speaking forcefully, said the same commander delayed confronting the gunmen because he, quote, waited for a key that was never needed, end quote. Mr. McCraw said that the doors to the classrooms could be locked only from the outside, quote, there was no way to lock the door from the inside, and there's no way for the subject to lock the door from the inside adding that a teacher made a request for the locks to be fixed, believing they were broken before the shooting. Quote McGraw, I don't believe, based on the information that we have right now, that the door was ever secured. The door was unsecured. He said that the on-scene commander was the chief of school district police department, Pete Arredondo, who was the highest ranking person at the scene. The chief has said he did not consider himself in charge that day quote McGraw. If you're going to issue commands, if you're going to direct action, you are the on-scene commander. The delayed confrontation with the gunman, Mr. McGraw said, ran counter to, quote, everything we have learned over the past two decades. <sighs> That article and other reporting from the Austin American Statesman and a few of the television stations out here in Texas have represented a breaking of the dam in in, in terms of information around this shooting, which has largely been suppressed by the local authorities. Footage from inside the school has now leaked, showing that minutes after the gunman broke into the school, there were indeed responding officers with AK-47s and gun shields. They waited nearly an hour before they took down that gunman while teachers and students were calling 911 from within the shooter's hearing. The bravery that Those children and school administration showed, along with the bravery of the parents that were trying to break through the police holding them back, should be commendable. And while we are obviously going to continue to have a long, long national conversation about guns, it is important that we understand this Clear And powerful example of how we need to have facts in these cases, because what is now absolutely clear is that there was a dereliction of duty by the police on the ground, a shooting that would have been tragic for one child lost instead ballooned to nearly 20, 20 lives that will not see the 4th of July, that will not see their next birthday, that are no longer here because adults, adults trained, equipped, and directed to protect the lives of those children did not do it. I've said on this show many times that when it comes to the lives of police officers, and I know we got a lot of people listening that are police officers because you guys have reached out to me. I've got police officers in my family that you guys get my maximum respect. And with that, we need to have maximum accountability because without faith and without trust from the populace, you wind up creating the deficit for which we have right now. And so. Here we are. An ugly, jagged, horrifying, nightmarish scenario. A deadly one. An embarrassing one. A stain that will likely stay with not only that community, but that city for decades, if not longer. All of my condolences to everybody including those police officers who either weren't directed or were directed or, or scared, terrified. Hell, even the commanding officer that didn't think he was a commanding officer. I don't know what goes through your head if you are so terrified, if you are so scared that you can't move and you know that your cowardice is allowing the ultimate evil. My condolences. Oh, boy, I tell you what, maybe it's a sign of the times that we, we have so many of these heavy segments that roll right into the ad break, but with there being no easy way to segue into this crass element of commercialism, we will do so Ungracefully. I want to thank everybody who uh, supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. At the $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts, of course, one that comes out on Sunday night. By the way, I have to apologize. I I just, you know, I was out paddleboarding before I did the show, so maybe it was the sun, but I I accidentally referred to Janet Yellen as the Fed chairwoman and not the Secretary of the Treasury. She was formerly the Fed chairwoman. So there we go. Anyway, you do get a bonus podcast. It does come out uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So you on your commute will be able to begin your day with the best, to my knowledge, roundup of what is happening on the Sunday talk shows. That is the nerve center for mainstream Washington. What do the two parties want you to be talking about this week? We sum it up, guess why they're doing it, and predict where they will go from there. And then, of course, on Thursday, you get the late edition. That's the latest that we cover news on this program. And I got a little news for you. This one's going to be a doozy literally this week. All arrows point to the Supreme Court issuing massive rulings. That could affect Roe versus Wade and the second amendment. It looks like that's going to happen on Thursday. So if you want to hear my reactions to whatever these rulings are, well, only one place to go. Take politics seriously.com. No, I don't need information. I'm telling them the information Siri. Anyway, I also want to give you guys uh, some more news. I am going to be out of the country through uh, the second week of July through the end. Uh, it is a little bit of a respite for your boy. A, uh, a vacation that has been delayed two years. My wife has business out in Amsterdam, TwitchCon Europe to be specific. And so I will be, uh, I, I will be in, in Europe uh, through, through a lot of July. That doesn't mean that you guys are going to get any less PX3. I have recruited some guest hosts. I don't know if I want to say them now, but they're people that you like. Trust me. I, I'm, I'm getting voices that you guys have responded positively to. I'll say one of them. I'll say one of them because this is a this is an exciting one. And especially since today I open up my Twitter account and I see an absolute madman. A lunatic who woke up this morning and chose violence because he not only wrote this column but he willfully posted it on his main account on Twitter. The headline Kirsten Cinema should be the face of the Democratic Party in 2022. The author, the one and only frequent contributor to PX3. Bill Shaer. Bill Shaer will be making his PX3 hosting debut in July, and if that column is any indication, this man is in the zone two more guest hosts that we will talk about in the coming weeks. Thank you guys for continuing to be a part of this. Uh, while I'm gone, you will get your Patreon bonus content. You will get your two episodes every week. Uh, we are paying everybody to, to, to make that happen. They will be, uh, the, the contributors will be paid. So I'm, uh, I'm super thrilled about it. Okay. There we go. That's it. Take politics seriously. com Most of the big money primaries have come and gone. We have a good idea of the big races that we are barreling towards this November. The ones that will determine the House and will determine the Senate. We're mostly going to focus on the Senate here, though, because we welcome back our friend that we are always of the odds with, never at odds with. He has uh, his own Substack. He writes for the lines.com. His name is Evan Scrimshaw. Welcome back to the show. Scrim. Thanks for having me, man. I always love to do this. All right. Well, before we go uh, uh, any further, there, there is some business. So the last time we were on, we had, uh, uh we, we, we tried to make things fun and not only did I have you pick, who uh you thought was was going to win in a lot of these big primary uh moments, but uh we we put a line on them, you know, because you write for the lines. You are well familiar with a lot of these gambling uh uh conventions. And so do you want to hear how you did?
1: I think I have a vague sense, but yes, I would like the accounting on this.
0: All right. So uh uh you had Fetterman minus five over Lamb. That was that was a laugher uh, uh Fetterman obviously uh did uh everything but stay out of the hospital in that uh, particular race. Uh Herschel Walker, we had the big, you know, SEC Alabama versus uh, uh the Broward Community College line at 59. You took that and he covered. Uh Kemp minus 5 over Purdue. Uh uh that was also a winner. And you had Mandel over Gibbons, which I uh I think we had as a as a as a pick'em. Uh uh Gibbons, Mandel, Vance, Timkin, pick'em. Uh uh, you had you had uh, Mandel over Gibbons. So at, at that moment, I, I don't think it was a uh I don't I don't think it was a bad pick, but but certainly the uh the 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 Trump of it all kind of upended that race.
1: Yeah, so I got lucky. And I I basically ran even with my like, probably like with the Trump endorsement endorsing someone random because I didn't think he was going to endorse JD Vance and that screwed me in Ohio. But I also didn't expect the Trump endorsement in Pennsylvania and I got on Dr. Ross, right? So, like, ran like even with those two. So, like, I'm like, I just didn't think he was going to endorse Vance because of all of Vance's like, you know, endorsed like endorsed and donated to jeb bush history i just didn't think that was going to happen he endorsed trump like eh, like whatever i'm gonna get that one wrong but you know ran hot to get oz winning you know by 900 votes or whatever.
0: So oh my that. lord right just so just, i'll
1: take I'll, I'll take a little i'll take my shit for ohio because i got because i got <laughs> pennsylvania right uh,
0: uh indeed indeed you did and yeah that was the other one oz over mccormick barely uh yeah, well, you mean, you know, that's the thing with Trump is he's, he's, what have you done for me lately? Uh, uh, he is, he is, he is willing to forgive in, in, in the past if you are, if you are singing the, the appropriate tune currently. And, and Vance was certainly doing that. Then there's that whole, have you followed much of this, this Trump versus Club for Growth fight?
1: Oh, it's, it's the most fascinating story happening right now. It's insane. I love every part of it. I love every story about it. I, it's, I love it.
0: For those, I mean, we did we covered it on the on on the show a couple weeks ago, but uh, but yeah, the the you know one of the 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 biggest super PACs certainly through the Tea Party era and and beyond, Club for Growth, which has been aligned with Donald Trump. Trump has come out and said that when they're on the same side, they are they are they are hard to beat, if not unbeatable. And yet, there have been a couple uh, primaries where the Club for Growth just went straight out after. A a Trump pick, and so far over two, at least based on on the big the big races that I've been following.
1: Yeah, and like I'm really really curious whether or not the club for guys are going to start stopping the pick fights with Carmen Dorsey's because like we like there's still there's not too many really interesting primaries of this cycle left, but no. 2024 is going to have a lot of interesting Senate primaries on the GOP side and like it's going to be really interesting whether the Club for Progress takes a takes a takes a policy more of not engaging in these sorts of fights because if they keep losing primaries their value as an organization and their sort of leverage over their candidates of with our endorsement and our money you win yeah goes away So well, they got to it- stop picking fights they can't win
0: i twenty twenty four is one of those things that's gonna kind of work itself out because at that point we will know exactly where the 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 Trump of it all lands, right? Like, like like we will know if he is announced. We will know if he is running. We will know you know that his his machine will be focused on on him. And the club for growth is going to have to decide whether or not they're on board or not, which is the other funny part about this is that the club for growth was the organization that the most trying to kill his candidacy back in 2016.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, like that's the other thing is that Republican politics are all like, there's no moral lines in any of this. Like J.D. Vance compare Trump to Hitler six years ago. (laughs) And just now the and now the Trump endorsement got JD Vance, like probably a sense. So, like, if you want, you know, like moral red lines, like this is not the place to be. Looking for.
0: Well, let's talk about some of these races because you wrote a Substack that I thought was very, very, very interesting, and I am I encourage everybody to read. Uh, and and I think if if I am tracing this back correctly, it all originated from a slate of. Pennsylvania polls that came out among the first for the Senate race of Dr. Oz versus John Fetterman and had Fetterman up nine points. And I got this sent to me a lot because I, I I like John Fetterman. I, I think he is a good candidate. I think that if he weren't, I don't know, infirmed because of a stroke and a heart attack. I would like his, I would like his campaign a little bit better if he was out there pressing the flesh, because I think that's a real strength for him. But uh, I've, I've said, Hey, look, this is going to be a rough term for for, for Democrats. And so up nine damn near 10 points. A lot of people showed it to me. You had a bit of a different reaction. What was that? Stop believing
1: shit state polls. My God, people stop it. So it wasn't just the Pennsylvania poll, but the Pennsylvania poll was the one, was the straw that birds Campbell's back for me. There was, the day before Sherry Beasley was up for North Carolina, um, there's been like a series of Ohio polls, both from reputable pollsters and from Democratic pollsters showing like a close race, uh, either Ryan down, Tim Ryan down two in a USA Today Suffolk poll or up two in a pair of Democratic internals, and, and it's just like those state polls and there's like a Florida poll that's sort of been floating in the ether from Trump's pollster showing Charlie up won over Ron DeSantis. Like these polls are all pointing to an environment where like Democrats like win the house, expand the Senate <laughs> majority, like where the Democrats win the national popular vote by like five or six points. Like that's just not happening. I guess like I, that's not happening with a president whose approval rating is 39% or whatever. Um, and the problem is, is that all we're doing is just repeating the same shit we did in 2020. And like I was a 2020 believer. I was yeah. a 2020 democratic optimist. I fell for the polls the first time. But my the case I made in the Substack is like whether or not 2020 was defensible or not from like an analytical perspective, right? Whether the process was good or
0: bad. so you or were, yeah, was there, there was, there bad. was so much, so much consternation in 2016 of why were the polls wrong? Why were the polls wrong? We got to get them right. We got to get right. four years worth of, of philosophical and analytical discussion of exactly what needs to change. And some of the same problems popped up again in 2020.
1: They were worse in 2020. But the thing is that like, there were so many, like all the, indicators like district polls, state polls, national polls, they all pointed to a blowout and they were all wrong in 2020. Here, like, that's fine. If you caught it, you got caught in 2020, I think that's acceptable. But it's not acceptable to get caught in 2022 again, because it's the same thing happening again. It's the same polls making the same mistakes, and they're just not sufficiently accurately polling Republicans. Democrats are more likely to answer polls. And we're just getting staples that just like are not true, but it's a thing called a poll from a pollster who has a good rating on 538. So we have to pretend it means something. Yeah. No, we don't.
0: Well, let's, let's, let's uh, interrogate that a little bit. So it, it seems from what you are saying that part of just the common sense element of this is indicators, especially in midterms are, you know, a uh, uh, generic ballot stuff, state of the economy, and uh, the approval rating of the president, in in whatever order that you want to believe or, or push those things. All of those indicators right now are not bad, like really bad for 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 the Democratic slate. So, if you are looking at those and then looking at these polls, there is a a dissonance to it, right?
1: Oh, an extreme one. And the thing is, like I run two separate metrics. One's just based on like the state polls, and one of them is based on the national polls. Mm-hmm. If you use my state polls metric, you're pointing to like, and this is every state poll with like four outliers, but three of them are like crazy Democratic leaning outliers. So it's fine. Like it's a it's an average, like my outliers are helping Republicans, you're not Democrats. Um, you're getting in a national environment that's like D plus three. If you use my national polls. Indicator, which is the one I believe is like correct. You're getting your uh, GOP plus five environment. You are getting the red Jesus. wave for Yeah, you're getting the red wave because Biden's approval is so bad that you're getting like an R five environment. Now, do I think it's gonna be R five by the day? Maybe, maybe not, maybe it's a three, maybe it's a five, like I don't really know. But the the state polls are pointing to a completely different universe, like a totally, completely insane universe and the thing is is that we just lived through this in 2020 i you know lived through this on a daily basis i was looking at every poll and it's just like wow midwest poll understates republican support with rural whites hmm where have i seen this before except (laughs) literally all of the last four like three election cycles before this
0: Was it the McAuliffe election that really broke you on this? That really, that that was, that was the, 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 the burn on the stove that you're like, never again, never again, this bad.
1: I'm just not like, I, yeah, I mean that one, like that one was pretty bad, but like the, the thing about the McAuliffe election was like there, the state polls were actually like decent in, in aggregate. Although there were plenty of bad polls that just basically, basically just cancel each other out. Yeah. But like, the thing is, is that, like, in in Virginia, you had to sort of pick which metrics seemed more correct, right? Because you had the state polls and you had the Biden approval stuff in line, yeah. both of which pointed to, like, a bad result for them. And the generic ballot polls pointed to Democrats actually being fine. And the generic ballot polls were just out to launch. And so, for me, it's like, when you have metrics that are pointing in completely different directions, and one of them makes, like, absolutely zero sense... You just have to be willing to say it makes no sense because, like, I just don't see. Like, I'm sorry, John Fetterman is not winning white voters in Pennsylvania after Donald Trump won them by 15 points. I get he's a good candidate in theory, yeah, but like, there's oh yeah, he can lose them by 10, not you know 15 which is maybe his actual upside in like, you know, reality. Mm -hmm. And there's not, he's winning them.
0: Yeah, that is, that is, that is a, a bridge too far. So let's get into the under the hood on some of these, these mistakes that the polls are making, because that's the, the, the kind of constant refrain. And even when you listen to pollsters try to talk about this or, or the poll specific media try to discuss like, okay, well, if something's wrong, then what, is the problem. I never really feel like I get a a straight answer. If if you have identified these are the mistakes they're making, what are those mistakes?
1: So everyone is weighting their polls to a demographic that they expect to be the electorate. And the, the 2020 polling miss was, we just, like our electorate weightings were just completely wrong. We had way too many people with degrees. And we assumed that non-white turnout would be Obama levels high, and then they weren't quite as high because Clinton was not as good of a candidate. In yeah. 2020, they fixed all the like easy mistakes. But the problem is, is that the 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 white voters they were polling were not representative of their class. They got an overly democratic sample of both of white educated voters and of white working class voters. And The problem is, is that you you can hit your quotas in terms of education and like party identification, but the samples that you're getting are just like unrepresentative, unrepresentative because the like the tradespeople who are willing to answer polls, the, you know, whatever are more democratic than their voter group as a whole. And so you're hitting your quotas properly but you're getting an overly secular, overly socially liberal sample than the actual electorate you'll get. And so you'll get less like, like the problem is they need to start, they need to start polling for like religious attendance. They need more people who attend church on a weekly basis. Like I don't, we haven't proved this. I haven't been able to prove this yet, but my like gut thing is they're getting an overly secular, not religious enough. Group mm-hmm. of people because the white college voters they're getting because if you have a degree if you're white you have a degree and you don't attend church you're almost assuredly a democrat but if yeah. you do attend, attend church services or any sort of uh, religious faith services you are still yes you might have a degree yes you might sort of like fit the profile of a white college voter but you're still more likely to hold socially conservative views on like gay marriage abortion trans rights, whatever. And the problem is they're not getting a sufficiently culturally conservative sample at these polls, and that's the problem.
0: And you would say of all the different demographic things, that's that's the key. That That's the yes. one thing that's, that's sort of missing here, that even, even economically, you could take that same voter and they're more likely to at least be a red-leaning independent, if not an outright Republican voter that is just not being counted.
1: Yeah, like the difference between like the difference in terms of education and income are not that different between like the wow counties in Wisconsin and like Forsyth County, Georgia, or like the mid cities in between um, Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, and like, but the, di- but the reason that South Lake Texas and Forsyth Georgia vote way, you know, are a shade of red, you know, more than the wow caller or, you know, uh, the Philadelphia caller isn't it's not income and it's not and it's not education. It's religion. It's secular yeah. voters in the Midwest and it's uh, religious voters in the South, which is why more of the South has culturally conservative views on you know, key social issues.
0: Now, previously on this show, you have referred to the, the Trafalgar group as the guy who rolls into the casino, bets on red every time and then celebrates like he's a genius whenever it hits. I, I have continued to think that they're polling specifically in relief to some of the misses in terms of understanding Republican voters that they've, they've produced content that I've thought to be more accurate. Has your opinion on them evolved any?
1: no, I'm going to give them credit. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm going to give them like a little <laughs> bit of credit because I gave the quote about them being a guy who bets on black every time at a roulette table um, yeah. before the Virginia elections. Yeah. And in fairness, they got Virginia, like they were the, I think, single best pollster in Virginia. They had Youngkin by two, and he won by like, what, 1.8 or some, something? Like yeah. They actually yeah. did very well in Virginia. Um, And I remember, I think it was Nate Cowan, of the upshot New York Times, who said, like the best indicator for Democrats is that um Trafalgar only has them up to in Virginia. And I sort of think that they've kind of stopped being like quite as bad. Like I think they're taking this more seriously now. Um, so maybe. I think it's kind of because they're
0: the only game in town, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a
1: little bit and and like some of their primary, so their Georgia. Governor Paul was like absolutely garbage,
0: but it was bad. Yeah, yeah. George their Ohio one was really good.
1: Right. They've been like they've been decent in terms of the Republican primaries this year, which is the other thing making me think that like maybe maybe they've like figured something out that's not quite as stupid as some of their previous work, and maybe they've actually learned something from 2020 that is sort of Close the gap from like we're just going to be like a mean pollster who can occasionally claim credit to actually being like a vaguely serious polling outfit with a Republican bias. Because if they're a serious outfit with a Republican bias, I don't really care because like the polls probably have a Democratic bias in aggregate right now. So sure, like yeah, if you're correcting if you're correcting for a legitimate bias, that's fine. If you're just making up, that's less fine. But I actually think they've become much more serious in the last six months.
0: All right, let's let's take a look at at where our landscape is now. Uh, you you pointed out that on your own model, looking only at national stuff, it is R uh, plus five in in the Senate, which is which would be you know just uh, an absolute apocalypse for 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 the Democrat. That would be the certain uh, soul searching would have to happen in between everybody pointing their fingers and blaming everybody else, but. Where do you think is the the seats for which you believe that the Republicans are going to take that would otherwise be close? And and where do you think that the, the Democrats absolutely need to defend their house?
1: So I think like the weird thing about the Senate map is that, like, I think in aggregate, like the environment can be really bad, but I still think Democrats have like a have like a decent chance of holding it just because the GOP keep nominating horrible candidates like I don't like I'm still reasonably optimistic about Nevada um because I think Cortes Masta will do better with Hispanics than Joe Biden did um no the Texas 34 results from last week don't really sway me on this point because Democrats got it 20 to one
0: um I, yeah. How, how much thing, before before we get before we get back into the Senate, how much do you buy uh, those 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 trends, the, uh, the, the 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 ever reddening of some of the Hispanic vote?
1: I think it's I think it's how Texas is going to keep happening because those are like rural culturally conservative Hispanics who only really voted for Democrats out of like because of the color of their skin. They didn't really agree. Like They don't agree with dallas like liberal democrats on anything they just vote a democrat because yeah. that's what you do and there's no there's nothing like actually cohesive there so yeah republican like republicans will will win like i think players gonna lose in the 28th later this year i think we will democrats will win the new 34th which is like way more blue than the than the district the republicans just won um but like outside of the rio grande like the republicans have like they'll, they'll probably do like a point or two better in Arizona with Hispanics this year than they did last time. But like I think in Nevada specifically, which is sort of like my thing is like I just don't think it's gonna happen because Cortes Masto like a presumably a Hispanic senator will do better than a white incumbent. But yeah, the Republicans will still make games you know the problem, the problem
0: the problem with Nevada is that it's basically Clark County. Right. Yeah. That's one of those weird states where it's it really is one city and one county that matters. Uh, and The 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 problem for the Democrats there is that if we are in a recession at that point or if we are we are close to it and things like entertainment and a trip to Vegas is something that less Americans are going to want to do that, that place gets sad fast when 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 the money is not rolling in. Uh, And I think that's that's going to be an interesting race? Cause you know, uh, Laxalt is, is kind of a, a fail son, right? Like he's, he's not, I don't think he's, he's a particularly electrifying candidate, but can he oss off his way to a seat uh, in, in, in the right environment? I think possibly.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely possible, but I I do think that like in Nevada specific, I, the thing you got to remember though is one Harry Reid won in 2010 in an environment that he had absolutely no business winning in.
0: Cortez no, Masto. But let's let's let, 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 let's put some I'm respect not, on the man's name. Like like, like that was sure. Harry Reid that
1: won it. Sure. I'm not I'm not gonna argue with you, but like it's a turnout game in Nevada more than any other state. Cortez Masto ran even with Hillary, even though she wasn't an incumbent when she replaced him. Yes. And the other thing is, I don't think Vegas is gonna be quite as like, even if it's not great economic times, I don't know. It's going to, I don't know the floor on like the Vegas economy is quite as low anymore because of the hockey team and the football team. People really, really like, like people, there are I think-
0: events there, there are events, but there's, I mean, you know, uh, there is one block in Vegas. Uh, I think it's the MGM, the Excalibur, New York, New York, and I believe Bally's that, that just that intersection has more hotel occupancy than the city of San Francisco. So oh, it's like I don't, I, you
1: are I don't I yeah, no, I don't disagree. But like so I think so it's like, like, like
0: yes you can have you can have UFC weekends and you can have football weekends and you can have hockey weekends and 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 they're there that is good. That is a good lifeline for that city that they did not have before. But but that that place is built for conventions. And steady booms. And and those are things that will not exist in the same way if we are not in, in a favorable and growing economic environment in the same way that they were over the last, you know, six, seven years.
1: Sure. I sure. And that's that's all fair. But I think that a like. June election day would probably be much worse than a recession than a November one, because. The fall, like the fall early season hockey schedule and then, you know, Raiders games for, you know, <laughs> like all of September, and October, I think just means that like the Vegas economy will probably be fine in the fall and it'll probably be very bad in the rest of the year. And I don't think you'll quite get the, the sort of like immediate sadness in the same way, like in the fall. And I, this is one of the weird perks where I think like, you know, wow, like the Raiders really like, I think that really, a game changer. Um, but yeah, no, I, I sort of think Nevada's fine. I, I, uh, I think we're not going to win, but that's mostly cause I think that like, I think any other Republican would have beat him, but oh boy, Herschel buddy, buddy, what a I horrible mean, campaign he's running.
0: I, 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 I have, I've, have my, my, my advice to the Herschel Walker campaign is to read his stump speech and then to any question, just do the Heisman pose. I have, I have said that from the very beginning. I think that the more he talks, the more he's, he's in trouble. The question is, you know, how, how much of a national race is this? Cause I do believe that Raphael Warnock is a, a, a good politician, if not a very good politician. I, I think that Herschel Walker is a uh, if I'm being kind, a novice, <laughs> if I am being unkind, then a a sloppy and mistake prone politician. That being said, you know, uh, uh, this is this is not only going to be a race that is buoyed by the national environment, but also a very animated state race where I don't think that Stacey Abrams has much of a shot against Brian Camp.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't disagree there. Um... the the counterpoint to like the nationalization argument is Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock is black turnout manna from heaven, regardless of what happens in the rest of the country. Right. Like I think Georgia Democrats can engineer their own turnout independent of the national environment and independent of all the other bulls. So that I think Georgia Democrats have a substantially higher floor now, because especially with two black top of the ticket candidates, that means that, I think you can easily see a scenario where Kemp wins by four, Warnock wins by two, the Atlanta suburbs and excerpts are just full of Warnock-Kemp ticket splitters. And, you know, Kemp having survived the Purdue primary comes out looking more moderate by comparison. And you just get like the low tax cut, social liberal Atlanta suburbs voters vote for their low tax Vote for their low tax competent governor and they vote for, well, not the weird, crazy, probably has undiagnosed CTE football player. Like, I'm sorry, Herschel Walker can't talk coherently. Like, it's not good. He should not be running for political office.
0: I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm less pessimistic than that, I, I, uh, which, which is to say that I, I, I don't I don't quite think that he is a, a, a walking ball of knives. But uh, I, I do think that he is is punching uh, uh, above his weight when it comes to Raphael Warnock, although I think that, you know, the campaign that Raphael Warnock is running is uh, 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 one where he knows he's running uphill. Like, you know, all of his ads, he does not mention Stacey Abrams. He doesn't mention Joe Biden. He does not mention anything but the cool stuff he's done at this job in D.C. uh, uh, with a party that I don't want to name.
1: Yeah, but the thing is is that he doesn't need Joe Biden. He doesn't he doesn't need he doesn't need to go on the air, and Dr. Joe Biden, because Joe and Stacey help him with the black turnout. And then he goes to the suburbs and says, I'm an independent thinker who has gotten X, Y, and Z down in Washington that has helped yeah. you. And that is how he stitches together 50% plus one. I am, I
0: don't know. I'm not, I'm not as, uh, uh, I'm not as, I'm not quite as down on Herschel, but we'll see. We'll see uh, how, how, how things, uh, how things continue to play out. Any other races that fascinate you aside from Oz and Fetterman, which I just think is, is just what a crazy, Crazy race. Yeah. I, oh, it's I did a whole be, oh, interview. It's be, like it's nuts. Because yeah. Fetterman still isn't out on the road, right? Yeah, no, like his like I never want to
1: speculate on health stuff, but you know, it's been bit of been a little while since we were told everything was gonna be fine and still haven't really seen him out there. But also, Dr. Oz is running against him, so who the fuck knows? Um, that <laughs> primary was like really divisive. Kathy Barnett has said she is going to endorse Oz and she has like the Trump, like she, she was the candidate of like the Trump election dead enders. So who the hell knows what their turnout is going to end up doing. No, that race is going to be fascinating. My big one is now that it's probably Blake masters versus Mark Kelly. Like I have no read on that race whatsoever. You can tell me Kelly wins by five because Blake masters is like absolutely incompetent. and doesn't know it from a hole in the ground. you could tell me that Blake Masters wins because it's Arizona and Arizona still voted like four points for any of the nation in 2020 and it's going to be like an R4, R5 environment. I have literally no idea what's going to happen in Arizona. And we need like, just I have no idea what's going to happen in Arizona. None whatsoever. Yeah. I think I'd lead, I think lean to the Republicans winning it just because like, just, like, I don't think Masters is like quite a Herschel level bad candidate. And I think you need a Herschel level. I think, back I, think candidate. I think,
0: I think, I think, I think for, for the Arizona GOP, he's, he's about as, as, uh, uh, about as, as normal of a candidate as I would have expected from them because they are, yeah. they are on. Yeah. One. And,
1: and, yeah. And Peter Thiel will, will, you know, presumably write a, you know, hundred million dollar check and that will get a long way. So I lean, I lean towards Republicans being favored in that race and in the Pennsylvania race until, Until someone gives me like actual compelling evidence otherwise. And no, that one damn nine point lead poll is not compelling evidence.
0: Yeah, because I don't the the biggest case I've seen for Fetterman is that Oz's disapprovals from the primaries will linger into the general. And I just don't buy that. I I think that that, that the Republicans are going to come home.
1: Wasn't that the argument for Trump not winning in 2016? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Like I don't know. Republicans will come home to the Republican nominee. Like, I just i i i, I just default to that in a red environment. Like, and then, I mean, like, if he if-, if he
0: could win, if Oz could win a Republican primary where he's got miles of tape, like dancing with Michelle Obama <laughs> and talking about, you know, all these things that are ready made campaign ads and he was able to win it. I think, you know, you have to, you have to respect that. If even just for name recognition and, and likability for the people that do like him.
1: Yeah. yeah, no. And I think, I think he might have a little more crossover appeal two Democrats and I think people are are certainly currently stating, right? Like everyone's focused on like, well, can Fetterman win back Obama Trump voters in like the middle of the state and then like up to Scranton. But I think Oz can probably, yeah, Fetterman can win some of those back. I also think that Oz can win back some of the Romney Biden voters in the Philadelphia Collider. And so I don't necessarily know that like, P- turning back, like I don't know that you know. Oh, but Fetterman can turn back the clock. I think Oz can do that too. So I don't necessarily think that's some like
0: huge advantage. Uh, it, it was it was striking to see Oz's first ad as a general election candidate compared to his primary ads, which were like just. A uh, 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 chock full of like it would be like one segment of, uh, you know, guns and then like the final 15 seconds would just be like and no uh, boys competing in girls uh, uh, swimming events or or this that you just this like rapid fire thing at the end. And then his first general election thing was just kind of soft music uh, uh a, a black barista turning the sign to open as he talks about healing and moving forward. And it's like, all right, that, that dude is media savvy enough to know exactly how much to pivot. And, and I think we are going to see a very uh, a full soft focus Oz going forward.
1: What was that? What was the comp you used that he looked as comfortable as Derek Zoolander in a coal mine? Oh, and yeah, in the yeah primary. exactly. I think yeah. <laughs> Oz is much more comfortable running the campaign he has to run the general election.
0: Yes, because he did look at a place
1: running that primary campaign. I think, he, I think he's much more made for a general election because I think the like soft, soft music, healing, you know, whatever, I think that like that stuff. It's what he did. It's what have. he did every exactly. day for
0: like 20 years.
1: Right. He just goes back into like he just goes back into his TV persona. Like he just, he just like runs that bag out again. Like he knows how he could. Do that in his sleep. Yeah. Like, I think that's a way more comfortable campaign for him. And I think if you're buying the idea that, like, he's going to lose because, like, oh, Fetterman is this all this, like, working class appeal. Like, nah. I think he's going to run a much better general. I've always thought he was a better general election candidate than he is. Than McCannon? uh, Or McCormick, yeah. Um, McCormick, sorry. Yeah. Because, yeah, no, like, I don't know. I've just... I because th- I think McCormick would have actually had a like a, a turnout problem on his right, but I think the Trump endorsement with Oz means that like all the like election dead enders will come home and just vote for him anyways, especially with uh yeah. Mastriano on the ballot for the governor for the governorship. So, like, all the people who like deeply, deeply care about 2020, they'll all turn out because Mastriano and then they'll just vote Oz because they're already turning out for
0: Mastriano. I'm kind of a Mastriano believer, I think he might win.
1: I think he might win. The problem is, is that, like, he's got to prove that he can win fairly fast because of the Republican Governors Association, like, they I mean, Mastriano only has like, he has like $7 million cash on hand right now, and Shapiro has like 13 million. That's the only, like, if, if Mastriano wins, I won't be shocked at all. Like, environment, red wave, like, I'm fully on that terrain. The problem is yeah. that Mastrano has no money, and I don't think Repo- the Republican Governors Association is particularly inclined to spend on him. So,
0: yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I, I also don't I don't like the the campaign that the Democrats are running against him. I, I don't think the this man is a is 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 a crazy frothing at the mouth lunatic. Uh, benefits them because I think he's more charismatic than Shapiro. And if if you're asking people to go listen to him, I think they're going to like him. Uh, as a person or independents, they're gonna like him as a person more than they're gonna like Shapiro. So I I, I don't know. I, I would I would I would find another another track. Although in this environment, it's it's hard. So who knows? Uh, Evan Scrimshaw, where do people find your
1: Substack? Uh, unscripted dot Substack dot com. Read my weekly political betting columns over at the Lines. Also, I'm writing about Canadian football over there every week because oh nice. Yeah, uh, good good start to the season so far. Uh, two winning weeks back to back to uh, start the season. So um, hopefully, I can keep my run of good form going into week three.
0: That's it. Come on! I know all you action junkies—you need something to pay attention to during the summer. That's not baseball. Go read that's our boy, and make some yeah, money. Yeah, that's
1: that's how I that's how I got them to greenlight a Canadian college, Canadian football picks column. Was uh, hey, you want football to bet on during the summer? We
0: got some. Yeah, there you go. It's already there. Thanks so much, buddy. Love it. Thanks, man. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for dog and pony show audio in Austin, Texas. You can thank Mr. Scrimshaw for being on the show. PX3guest.com, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com takes you to his Twitter account. We always appreciate the love that you give to the folks who take the time out of their day to brighten yours. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com is where you send your emails. PX3 tweets is where you can follow the show on Twitter. Follow me on Twitch Live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast, and find all the merch you can possibly get your hands on at politicsmerch.com. If you'd like to hit me up with a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me. Venmo, Justin-Young-20, and Cash App, px 3 Cash. Of course, you can send anything physical you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. The only place that you can get bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 here. V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Ye Olde Pinball Shop, John, DP for Bongo, Knee Meister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, persons familiar with the matter, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start, Dr. G, headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Landy e, Landian, Blue Front and the Lanina DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, and Diana, shrills Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Rob, Casey, Paul, he's awesome. Brad, Richard, D, Lazer, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves, Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Jen, Adam, L, D, Really, Chopper, J, Pink, Andrew, and Josh if you would like to uh, have your name read there takepoliticsseriously.com is where you need to go we are back on friday you know it's going to be interesting uh, uh, depending on what happens it might be a late episode on friday because uh, uh the, the world might be ending after the Supreme Court issues their rulings. Otherwise, we will certainly have plenty of political discourse for you. It's all coming up in a couple days. Till next time. Your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss Oh)